Thanks. Um, thanks, everyone, for joining us tonight. So we are going to, like I said, yeah, we are going to um, study what well, I titled it Christian, Christian Living um, because we want to explore the life of a Christian and see what the death of Jesus Christ did in the Christian's life or has done in Christian's life and then also what is the practical um, application of, of that process. You know, what, what were we before Christ died for us? And then what should we be or how should we live <clears throat> after Christ died for us? And for today's Bible study, our focus is Romans chapter 6. Um, preferably Romans chapter 6 and chapter 7. So before I start, let me ask, um, who got the chance to read Romans chapter 6 and 7 or at least chapter 6? Who was able to read it? Anyone? You can raise your hands or drop a message in chat. Anyone? Anyone that read Romans chapter six? Hmm. No one. Okay. 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 So um, that is going to be our assignment. After today, we should still go back to read Romans chapter six and chapter seven because there's so much part in. If I just in chapter six alone, there's so much part in one chapter, and um, and quite frankly, we, we, we cannot exhaust it um, in Bible study. However, I would lay the foundations and trust that we continue studying along those lines tonight. Okay, so now let's turn to Romans chapter six, which will be our anchor chapter for tonight. Um, I was hoping we had read it so that I wouldn't have to read the whole chapter. Uh, but even then, I still wouldn't read the whole chapter. I'll just probably select a couple of verses. But we'll read most, most, we'll read most of the verses in chapter 6. So if you are there, please turn to Romans chapter 6. We will start reading from verse 1. From verse 1. Okay. Um, if you are there, please read for us. Romans chapter 6 from verse 1 to 10. Romans chapter 6, from verse 1 to verse 10. Please read if you are there. Okay, let me read then. So it says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? God forbid. So this is a question that Paul was asking and... Again, to understand why he asked that question, you need to read um, chapter 5, or at least the, the ending verse, last couple of verses in chapter 5. But so he goes on to say, God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? He now says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that just like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death. So take note here that Paul, Paul likens the death of Jesus to planting. Remember Jesus Christ said in John chapter 12 verse 24, 
that except a corn of wheat falls to the ground, it abides alone. However, if it's planted, it grows to bear fruit and, and all of that. So Jesus Christ, and when Jesus Christ spoke that, he was talking about his death. And he likened his death to a seed falling to the ground and being planted. Now, it is the same illustration and, and analogy that Paul gives here. Where it says, verse 5, that for if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Verse 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. And now this is a verse that we, we will emphasize a lot. So let's take it slowly. It says, this is verse 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not save sin. Verse 7 says, for he that is dead is free from sin. How, now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Verse 9, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he lived, in that he lived, he lived unto God. Praise Jesus. All right. Um, so we're going to, we're still going to continue in, with following verses, but I want to establish something between chapter, between verse 1 and verse 10 before we proceed. Now, if we start from verse 1, right, um, we see a question that Paul considers to be a rhetoric. He says that, seeing that, I mean, I, I, need to read, I need to read chapter 5, verse verse 20, so you understand why he asked the question. He said in chapter 5, verse 20, that, moreover, the law entered that offense may abound. He says, but where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. So Paul was saying that when there's sin, that there's, there, when sin abounds, so when there's iniquity, that grace, God's grace, also abounds much more than even the iniquity. So he now asks the question that people would have been asking. He said, should we continue to sin that grace must have, that grace should abound? And Paul says, God forbid. Meaning, it doesn't, make, it doesn't make logical sense to even ask that question. And the reason is because how can you who are dead to sin live in it any longer? Now, let's take a break here. You know, sin has been seen was a major issue if it was the major issue right that christ that made christ come to die for us and the bible says that for this reason the son of son of god was made manifest to destroy the works of the devil what was the work of the devil you go to the book of genesis the work of the devil was leading man into sin and um, however sin was not just before sin became an action sin was first in nature Okay, so what Jesus Christ came to do uh, majorly was to take away the nature of sin, replace it with another nature, which we call eternal life. And so that be because of the nature of eternal life, we can now be one with God. We can now be um, in one oneness and unity with God, right? So sin is a major issue. Sin was a major issue and, and Christ came to deal with that, all right? So... Paul now begins to tell us that, and, and, and I want you to follow his, the, train, the train of thoughts here, where he said, someone asked, for instance, or he assumed someone will be asking that, if the grace of God is available, the more we sin, then, I mean, let me just continue sinning, since grace would abound. 
But Paul now said that it doesn't make sense. He says, God forbid. I mean, I can imagine him like a typical Nigerian doing over my dead body, or God forbid, you know. And he said that how can you who are dead to sin live in it any longer? So Paul was beginning to draw the believer's mind to the fact that he was dead to sin, okay? And look at verse, verse 3 says, Know ye not. And I want to say something here that if you check through scriptures, if there was ever a scenario where a believer was acting in a way that he should not be acting, you find out that the way the, the, way the Bible addresses the believer was, it always bothered around knowledge, bothered around revelation. And so in this context, Paul was telling the believer that, don't you know, meaning hasn't it occurred to you, hasn't it come to you as revelation that this and this is the case? You know, if you go to the book of First Corinthians chapter, chapter 3 and chapter 6, when Paul was addressing immorality in the church, he said, know ye not that your body is the, the temple of the Holy Spirit and that you are not your own. He was drawing the believer back to the fact that there is something he's missing in terms of knowledge, in terms of revelation. And I just want to point that out. And, and it's very consistent with what scripture says, because Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Meaning if a believer is ever experiencing anything that is outside the, the provision of God's word for him or for her, then it usually borders around revelation. So the revelation is usually the first point of, of, of questioning or the first point of probing. So it's either the believer doesn't know enough or the believer doesn't have the accurate knowledge. And so Paul was saying in verse 3, Know ye not that so many of, so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. So when we are baptized into Jesus, Paul says we are baptized into his death. All right? Um, and now I need, to, I need to clarify what, what baptism here means. Now, of course, water baptism is a, is a representation of what has occurred in the spirit realm. All right? So when we gave our lives to Christ, the Bible lets us know that we are baptized into Jesus' death. And that giving your life to Christ is in itself is baptism. And baptism simply means, let me show you an example. So for instance, I have a I have a jota in my hand, right? If I open this jota, I hope you all can see me. I open this jota and I have a pencil here. I place the pencil inside the jota and I close the jota. Okay. The pencil is baptized inside this jota. And it will remain baptized as long as it is inside the jota. So wherever this, this jota goes is exactly where the pencil will go. If I take this jota and I place it in another room, right? Place it, say, on the shelf in another room. The pencil, because the pencil is baptized inside the jota, the pencil will assume the location of the jota, okay? And this truth is so liberating because the Bible lets us know that our lives are hid in Christ and Christ in God. And so the Bible says we are baptized into Christ Jesus. All right. So now back to verse 3. It says, don't you know that as many of you as were baptized into Christ, we are baptized into his death. So Paul was joined, Paul is joining the believer's attention here to the fact that when you get born again, the Bible says you are baptized into Christ. And when you are baptized into Christ, you need to be conscious that you are baptized into his death. 
So what is the significance of being baptized into Jesus' death? That's, that's the question we should ask. I mean, why didn't he say, why did he just say we're baptized into his resurrection or we're baptized into his riches or we're baptized into his anointing or, you know, there are other, other quote-unquote sweeter parts to be baptized in. Why did Paul have to emphasize that we're baptized into his death? Okay, we'll, we'll answer that question as we proceed. Now look at verse, verse 4. Um, we're reading Romans chapter 6 and we are in verse 4 right now. So it says, Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. Again, this matter of death keeps coming up. He says that like as Christ was raised up from, dead, from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. So Paul was saying that the same way Christ was, Christ was, um, the same way Christ died, so also because we are buried into, we are, we are baptized with him, we are also buried into his death, meaning we experience the same death that Jesus Christ experienced. So again, I still have the question, what was that? What is the importance of death? Why did Paul have to so much emphasize on, on, on the death of Jesus and the fact that we, are, we, we partook in that experience of death, okay? The sixth is where our answer lies. The sixth is where our answer lies. So look at it. It says, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, and henceforth we should not save sin. Now, I, I, I started at the beginning by, by explaining to us, you know, briefly that sin was a major issue, you know. Sin was something that, um, it, was, it was the hindrance, you know, you know, you read the book of Ezekiel, the Bible says that God's hand is not too short to reach out, neither are his eyes blind to see. But he says, however, the, our iniquity is what is coming in between him. So it was like God, God has been trying to reach man. God has been trying to reach man. Right from the Garden of Eden, God has been making several attempts. He tried through the prophet. He tried through the judges. He tried through the priest. He tried through, through so many means. But he was not able to successfully get to man. The reason was because there was a barrier. And that barrier was sin. And sin in this context is not just referring to the action, but predominantly the nature because it was just the action, you know, um, it could have been dealt with by the blood of bulls and, you know, bulls and, and rams. It was just covered for the action alone. But there was something deeper than the action. It was the fountain of the action, and that, that is the nature. So the nature of sin is the fountain from which the action of sin proceeds. And God wanted to deal with the very source of it. it it's just like a tree, Okay. A tree bears fruits. If you don't like the fruit of the tree, it doesn't. If you if you remove, if you pluck all the fruits today, by next month the tree can grow new sets of fruits. All right. If you cut off the branches, the tree will grow another branch. So the real way to deal with the tree permanently is to take it out from the roots because the root is what anchors the tree to the ground. It is the same way that the nature of sin was what anchored the actions of sin in man. Such that no matter how many times man, man was forgiven, he would still go back to sin. And so God wanted to deal with the sin. So please follow me, because this is why, this is where death comes in very handy. 
and God wanted to deal with sin permanently. However, like I said, he wanted to deal with not just the action, but he wanted to deal with the nature of sin. And if you were with us last Bible study, you, you remember that we established the fact that the wages of sin is death. In fact, that's in, in the same Romans chapter 6 that we're studying. You go to, if you go to um, verse 23, you see there that the wages of sin is death. Sin there is not, was not referring to just the actions. It was referring to the nature, which was the result of the first sin that, you know, Adam committed. And because the nature of sin was death, God could only deal with sin by death. So please follow this. The only way sin can ever be dealt with is by death. There is no other way. You cannot, you cannot patch sin. You cannot make it up. You know, you know, I mean, please, ladies, don't take this personal note. I just want to give an illustration. You know, if a lady does makeup properly, eh, you might not know who she really is because the makeup can cover, you know, you know what I'm saying? Makeup can cover a lot. But when in the night or early morning when she wakes up, then you see the real self, right? Makeup can cover sin. Um, sorry. Makeup cannot cover sin, I beg you. Makeup can cover the facial appearance, right, of the skin and of the, of the person. But there was no other way. There was no other way that sin could have been covered. You could not, you could not patch sin. You know, and that's what the blood of bulls of and, and goats tried to do in the Old Testament. They try to, you know, apply mascara, apply makeup, apply one or two things on the on sin. But sin is sin. You cannot, there's no way you should approach it. If you dress sin in the most expensive suitcase, sin is still um, most expensive suit, sorry, sin is still sin. If you dress sin in the in the you wear the most expensive sneakers, sin is still sin, it will still show itself. So God needed to needed to deal with sin from the root. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Okay? And that is why Jesus Christ died. Now, somebody will say, eh, but if Jesus Christ died and took care of sin, which is a logical thing to think, though, if Jesus Christ died and took care of sin, how come, how is it that, how is it that anybody now that is born again, that anybody that is born into the world is still considered a sinner? If Jesus Christ died, 2000 over 2000 years ago and you are just maybe say, 25 or, or maybe 30 years and then you are not even you're not a, a tenth a, or a hundredth of the of of, of the age of how long that just Christ has died so how come it, how is it that we are still considered sinners when you are born and the sin nature still has preeminence in a man's life when he's born how is that so somebody will ask and I will explain to you. But before I explain to you, I need to explain the principle of inclusion. Okay? There's a principle in the scriptures and in, in, in the realm of spirit, which is called the principle of inclusion. Meaning that if someone... Okay, now, now to explain this principle, I need to make a reference to, um, to a story in the book of Genesis. Okay? And... Um, and and Hebrews, Hebrews talks about that. Okay, so just, I'll explain this principle before, with this illustration rather. In the book of Hebrews, the Bible lets us know, while, while it was talking about pain of tithes and all of that, the Bible talks about, you know, this man called Melchizedek. And the Bible says that Melchizedek was such a great man that even the Levites, who were, who by God's law, were commanded to receive tithes from their brethren, that's the other Israelites, 
because they were occupied the priestly, they were the priestly tribe, okay? And God commanded every other tribe to pay tithes. And the, the Levites were the ones to collect the tithes from them. But the Bible says that even the Levites paid tithes to Melchizedek. And why was that so? Now, Melchizedek was, just for those of us that might not know, Melchizedek was um, a priest and as, at the same time was a king. And when Abraham returned from, a, from um, the battle with the um, king of Sodom and, you know, rescuing all those people, including Lot, the Bible says that Abraham met Melchizedek and offered him bread and wine and gave him tithes of all that he, 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 he possessed. Now, the Bible was, that did not say that, that now, this experience, remember, Abraham was the grandfather of Jacob. Jacob was the father of the 12, 12 tribes of Israel. Before and one of the sons of Jacob was Levi. So just imagine that there was, I'm saying this to show you that there were several generations um, after there were several generations after Abraham before the Levites even started operating in their priestly position. Okay. However, the Bible says that the Levites paid tithes in Abraham. Why was that so? Because, and this is what Hebrews explained that the Levites were in the loins of Abraham when Abraham paid tithes. So it was as good as the Levites paying tithes through Abraham. Now that is possible because of the principle of inclusion, meaning if your great-great-great-great-grandfather did something, it is also, it will be spiritually legitimate to say that you did that same thing. And if you understand this, this principle in the realm of spirit, you know why I mean, you understand why, how, you know, spiritual curses and spiritual blessings are being transmitted as well. It's through the principle of inclusion. So somebody, for instance, can make a covenant with God and say, God, because I'm, I'm going to sow this seed or I'm going to do this action as a sacrifice. And because of this, all my generation will live long. And five generations later, there may just be one child that, is, that doesn't even care about God. He's wayward. He's just doing his thing. Yet, that covenant will still apply over that person's life because of the principle of inclusion, okay? Now, I hope you understand that. Having understood this principle of inclusion, let us now go back to the question, why is it that somebody that just gave, that someone that is just born, yet still has the nature of sin, even though Jesus Christ had already died? The reason is because of the principle of inclusion, okay? The principle of inclusion now, because of principle of inclusion, the sin of Abraham, uh, the sin of Adam, sorry, the sin that Adam committed in the Garden of Eden that brought about the sin nature is automatically transferred to anyone who is born of the lineage of Adam. And it so happens that every one of us is born from the lineage of Adam. That is why, even if you are born in a Christian family, you still have to give your life to Christ intentionally so that you can be taken out of that lineage into another lineage, okay? So everyone that is born, even though Jesus Christ has already died over 2,000 years ago, and his death had dealt with sin, you still have to, everyone who is born is automatically included in the, in the lineage of, of Adam because he was born out of the process that Adam, you know, Adam um, um, committed sin. And I need to explain this. If you remember that the last, yeah, last Bible study, we explained, no, not last, yeah, last Bible study, yes. We explained why the blood of Jesus was sinless, okay? So please stay with me, and, and if you are confused at any point, please 
um, ask your question or just note it down. But I really want to explain this principle so that we understand what, how the death of Jesus is so powerful to us. Remember last Bible studies, we explained why the blood of Jesus was seamless. And we said the blood of Jesus was seamless because the, Jesus, did not, Jesus Christ wasn't born the way every other person was born. Jesus Christ wasn't born as a product of the union of a man and a woman, right? He was born by the influence of the Holy Spirit over the woman. So the seed of the man was not part of the, of the, of the reproduction of, of Jesus Christ when he was born. So, he did, uh, um, so Jesus Christ did contain that seed of man, which contains the seed of Adam, okay? And again, I explained that it was the woman, the woman was deceived, and it was Adam that sinned. I mean, you have to, you might have to go back to last Bible study, you know, and to really understand what I'm saying. But Adam, um, um, the sin of Adam, right, did was not part of the process of reproducing Jesus Christ when he was born physically. So his blood was seamless. All right. Now, after Jesus Christ has died, every other after I mean, aside Jesus Christ that was born in that unique way, every other person on earth was born through the union of a man and a woman. And as long as you are born through a union of a man and a woman, by default, the sin nature will be in you, okay? And because the sin nature is in you, we now have to translate into another nature. And this is where death comes. So let's go back to chapter to verse six of Romans chapter six. Now, remember the principle of inclusion, don't forget. Romans chapter six, verse six now says, that knowing this, that our old man, the old man here refers to the nature of sin that we naturally have from, from Adam. He says, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. Meaning, because of the principle of inclusion, now that we are born again, even though we were not there when Jesus Christ died, physically we were not there. However, because of the principle of inclusion, when we get born again, it is assumed and it is recorded that we were there when he died. Meaning that when he was nailed to the cross, you and I, as believers, were nailed to the cross with him. When he was buried, you and I were buried together with him. When he was resurrected, you and I also resurrected with him. And I'm going to explain what, how resurrection comes in. All right? I'll explain that um, shortly. But the principle of inclusion also applies to our spiritual status right now as believers. That even though we were not there when Jesus Christ died, we're not there. This was over 2,000 years ago. We're not there when they flogged him. We're not there when they hung him on the cross. We're not there when they buried him. We're not there physically when he resurrected. However, because of the principle of inclusion, now that we are in Christ, remember the Bible says that we are baptized into his death also. That means that every experience that Jesus Christ had, we had it as well, simply by the principle of inclusion. And he now goes on to say that, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, right? That's our old nature is crucified with him. The reason is so that the body of sin might be destroyed. Remember, I told you that the only solution, the only remedy to sin is to destroy it. There is no other remedy to sin. You cannot... You cannot educate sin. You cannot do. Uh, you cannot take sin to rehab and sin will just change. No, you can't take take sin on a, on a diet to, to for it to change. There is no other solution than to kill it, and it is because of that that we have to be included in Christ's death. 
so that the body of sin, that is the nature of sin, will be crucified. God's judgment for the nature of sin is death. There is no other judgment. There is no other remedy. There is nothing else God does with the body of sin. There's nothing else God does with the nature of sin than to kill it. And so for us, in order for us to experience, for in order for, for the nature of sin in us to die, we had to be included in the death of Christ through the principle of inclusion, just like I've shared. All right? I hope this is coming, you know, clear and this is taking shape. So it says that, that the body of sin might be destroyed so that henceforth we do not save sin. Now, I need to explain why, how that, you know, I need to explain how resurrection comes in, just like I said, and um, why sin had to be destroyed as well, okay? Why we had to die so that um, sin can be destroyed. Now, take note also that, remember, we were included in Christ, meaning all that Christ experienced, we experienced it. If Christ was flogged, that means we were flogged. If Christ died, that means we died. If Christ resurrected, that means we resurrected. All right? Um, let us go one chapter after to Romans chapter 7 and see something um, very important that Paul explained here. Romans chapter 7. Someone should please read for us verse 1. Verse 1 to, um, verse one to verse 4. Romans chapter 7 from verse 1 to verse 4. Please, if you are there, read with us. Romans 7. I write yes. to you, dear brothers and sisters who are familiar with the law. Don't you know that when a person dies, he ends his obligation to the law? For example, a married couple is bound by law to remain together until separated by death. But when one spouse dies, the other is released from the law of marriage. So, so then, if a man... If a wife, pardon me, is joined to another man while still married, she commits adultery. But if her husband dies, she's obviously free from the marriage contract and may marry another man without being charged with adultery. That's for So my dear brothers and sisters, the same principles apply to your relationship with God. For you died to your first husband in law by being co-crucified with the body of Messiah. So you are now free to marry another, the one who was raised from the dead, so that you may now bear spiritual fruits for God. Excellent. Please, what translation is this page? TPT. TPT. Thank you. So this, um, um, this translation actually puts it in very simple terms that I almost feel like I, it doesn't need explanation again, but I will explain, explain it you know, just in summary. So Paul was explaining here to us the, the concept of, of our resurrection in Christ and how we are now separated from sin and the law and now joined to Christ. And he said that to explain that, we need to, well, let's take a, a, a fiscal analogy and the analogy of marriage, right? And so he says that if a man and a woman are married, as long as they are alive, according to the principles of God, they are bound together in that union. I mean... Even the wedding vow says, um, till death do us part, right? So as long as a man and a woman is married, they are, they are bound together by law. If the woman, for instance, go, begins to um, go after another man, she'll be com committing adultery, and that is sin, and that is wrong. And so she cannot be free from 
from that marriage unless one of them dies. Either the husband or the wife dies. But once somebody dies, then there is the, the law frees her from that union. Okay? And so this was what God now looked at it and said, ah, these people, they have, they have, by, their, by their own self, they went to marry sin. They went to marry the law. And the Bible lets us know that um, 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 the, the strength of the law is sin. Meaning, sorry, the strength of sin is the law, rather. Meaning that um, once you are married to sin or married to the law, you, you cannot do without the other. And so God looked at it and said, ah, if I come and snatch these people from sin, I will be, they will be committing adultery and it will be violation of my own law. So what should we do? What should we do? What should we do? So God did a, I mean, I mean, just pardon me now. God did brainstorming session in heaven and he now said, ah, the only way we can save these people from this, their marriage is to kill them. Ah, and they said, oh my God, they're going to die. He said, yes, 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 they're going to die. But what we'll do is that we'll kill them. We'll kill them so that legally, once they are dead, that union with sin, that marriage with sin will break. So they no longer will be indebted to sin. But someone now say, ah, but, but they'll die now. What's going to happen when they die? They'll be useless to us if they're dead. God now say, no, no, don't worry. That's not the end of the story. When they die, what will now happen is, I will now resurrect them again. But this time around, they are resurrected as new creatures. So the person that was married to sin no longer exists. The person that resurrects is a new creature. Now, this person that resurrects as a new creature will now marry me. And God, everybody was like, mm, 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 wisdom, wisdom, wisdom. And that's what God did. So what God did in essence was he killed us. And that's why, that's why the death of Jesus is super important. Because it was in the death of Jesus that we were separated from sin. We were, we were legitimately um, detached from sin, detached from our union with sin because of the death of Jesus. Remember, a woman is bound to the husband as long as both of them are alive. But once one of them dies, they are separated. So the death of Jesus separated us from sin. What God now did is he resurrected us, but not as the same person that died, though. He resurrected us as a new creature. Remember also that when Christ died, we died with him. When Christ resurrected, we resurrected with him. So in that resurrected state, the, the, the scripture that, 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 that says we are, we are new creatures, right, in Christ Jesus, that scripture is now fulfilled in our resurrected state. And so because we are new creatures in our resurrection, we, can mar we, are, we are now married to God without God violating the principle of marriage. Did you get that? And that was what God employed. And that was the only way God could have separated us because we were legitimately, in, through Adam now, we were legally authorized to be married to sin. But God had to deliver us and he employed this strategy. Praise Jesus. Okay, so let's go back to verse 6. Um, for those of you just joining us, we're reading Romans chapter 6 and we are in verse 6 right now. And for the record, we can't finish today's study, um, this study today. So wherever time permits us, we'll stop and continue next week. So Romans chapter 6, and we are in verse 6. Let me read verse 6 again. It says, um, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. So the body of sin is destroyed. Therefore, we don't have any obligation to sin anymore. So we are not serving sin, all right? 
Um, verse 7 says, For he that is dead is freed from sin. Remember, I told you that the only sentence God has for sin is death. You cannot patch sin, you cannot amend it, you cannot put makeup, you can there's nothing you can do for sin that kill it. All right. And the Bible says that the person that is dead is freed from sin. And this is what I want us to, or one of the things I want to drive home to us tonight is that in Christ Jesus, we are dead to sin. If Jesus Christ, and let me ask you a question, did Jesus Christ die? You say yes. I ask you, are you sure? You say yes. If I tell you Jesus Christ did not die, you would you would you would want to shoot me right now. You want to punch me and say, What do you mean? The Jesus that I know he died for me. If you claim and you agree that Jesus Christ died, then you also have to agree that you died in Jesus. And if you died in Jesus, then you, you need to know as a, as, a, as a consequence of that, that you have been freed from sin. All right? And remember, we're talking about sin, not, not, not now, right now, this, at this stage, we're not talking about sin in terms of the action. We're talking about sin in terms of the nature. All right? Verse 8 now says, Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Verse 9 says, Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he lived, he lived unto God. Okay? So, remember when we started, what we started with, um, verse, verse 3, where it says, Know ye not. So the first point of this, our discussion is a a knowledge that springs from revelation. And what is this knowledge? Is the knowledge of the fact that we died in Christ. And uh, the old nature died with him. We, what the you that is alive right now is not the person that died in Christ. I know that the salvation experience happened so quick that you are not even conscious of it. In, your, your, your senses were not even aware of the transition that happened. But this is the spiritual implication of giving our lives to Christ. That when we gave our lives to Christ, everything that Christ, you know, our history is only dated to the history of Christ. If God opens your book, your book in heaven now to take a record, to, uh, um, to look at your record and say, um, how far do we know, do we know Mr. XYZ? When he opens the record, the only history you have is the record of, is the history of Christ Jesus. But somebody will say, uh -uh, but I remember last week, just last week, oh, I before I gave my life to Christ, as even the person just gave his life to Christ a week ago, the person said, just last week, before I gave my life to Christ, <clears throat> I stole some money. God will tell you that in my book, I don't have record of that. But the person will say, ah, but um, two months ago, I was committing fornication. But God will say, in my book, I don't have record of that. The person will say, but God, are you sure? Check very well. Check, check, you know, check the back cover. Maybe it's there. God will say, it is not here. Reason being that the only history we have in, in as believers is the history that is dated to the cross. And the cross is where our old nature was dealt with. And the new nature, it was now resurrected afterwards. All right? Now, so, so don't forget this. The blood of Jesus Christ deals, or rather, the blood of Jesus Christ dealt with our sins in the sense that it paid for our sins, paid for the wrongs, paid for all that Adam did, right? It settled it. But the cross deals with our old nature, okay? The blood of Jesus deals with us, or dealt with our sin, rather. The cross dealt with our old nature. That is the nature of sin. 
So when you come to Christ, you are, your history, your life starts from the cross. Praise Jesus. And let me just say this, right? Um, uh, let me just chip this in. You know, sometimes Christians, people that were in the world and, you know, were very active in the world, doing all manner of things, and then they give their lives to Christ, it's very possible for the devil to come and begin to, you know, attack you with guilt, trying to make you feel guilty of the things you have done um, long ago or things that has happened in the past. Maybe you're in the world, you were, you were always going to the club, always sleeping, you know, with people, always stealing, doing different things. And then the devil now comes to accuse you of those things. You need to remind the devil of the cross. The cross is the, is the perfect reminder of what Jesus has done for you. Because it is at the cross that your old nature and everything that the nature has committed, it was at the cross that he died. From the cross moving forward, it is, you are a new man. And the Bible says, if anybody be, be in Christ, he is a new creature. Hallelujah. All right. So let me just read up. I haven't actually looked at my notes. So let me just see and be sure I didn't miss anything else. So I said, I'm just reading from my notes now, that the only way to be free from sin is to die. Okay, you can't, and Paul said, Paul said again in chapter, chapter um, verse 3, sorry, um, you can't indulge in what you are already dead to, all right? The law of inclusion through baptism states that when Jesus died, we died and we died with him. And when he resurrected, we, we resurrected also. Our old man was crucified with Christ. The only sentence for the nature of sin is death, not amendment or rehab or refurbishing, only, only death. Um, I also state here that we were married to the law, and that's the authority of sin. Remember that the Bible says the power of sin is the law. So when we're married to the law, we're married to the authority that sin exercises. He says, and in that state, we couldn't serve another husband, Christ. The only chance of being separated from the law was through death. So in Christ Jesus, our marriage, so in Christ Jesus, our marriage to, to the law was dissolved. And then God resurrected us back to life so that we can be married with Christ. Now, these things I'm sharing are foundational, but they are super, super important because the next things we are going to um, we're going to share will, will have to be built on this revelation. And I cannot overemphasize the fact that we you must accept this as a revelation. And note that this is not something that will happen in the future. No, this is something that has already happened. It is dated in the past. Look at the way Paul said it, said it in, in chapter 6. Note the text he says. He says, knowing this, that our old man is crucified. It is not going to be crucified. He's not trying to be crucified. He's not going to, be going to be crucified after you fast for 21 days. The old man is not going to be crucified after you sow a mighty seed in church. The old man is not going to be crucified after you, you finish doing praise and worship. No, the old man has already been crucified in Christ. <laughs> Again, I ask you, has Christ been crucified? If your answer is yes, then I can tell you for sure that your old man has already been crucified with Christ. Okay? So this is a, a, an experience that happened in the past. All right. Um, now, we, we need to move on to the next part. And I, I, I didn't say this in the beginning, but Romans chapter 6 is, um, you know, broadly speaking, is divided into three core ideal, ideologies or three core ideas that Paul was trying to communicate to us. The first one is death. 
The second is reckoning, and the third is yielding. All right? Now, um, I'm looking at the time we have left and what we have to cover. You know, the next thing is reckoning. So I am tempted to stop here and ask and take questions. Let us discuss, okay? Let us discuss at this point so we don't, we don't rush it. We most likely will continue the, the last two parts next week. That is reckoning and, um, and yielding. We will continue that next week. But let me take a break at this point and ask anyone for questions. Do you have any questions from, based on what we have discussed so far? And please, please let me say that there is nothing like a, you know, quote unquote foolish question or anything. Please share your questions and we, we all, you know, will answer together. All right, so anyone with any question for us? Okay, um, Emily, your hands are up. Please go ahead. Um, good evening, everyone. Can you hear me clearly? Yes, we can. All right. Um, so my question, you know, when you were teaching, um, when you were saying that as believers now that um, if we, if like, even if we go back to God and say, oh God, but I fornicated two weeks ago, and then God says he doesn't have any record of that, you know, stop when you're talking along those lines. But I really, yeah. really, really, really want to know that, um, you know what you sin, and you know, as believers, we are not, uh, we're not abound in sin, right? So, but when you really do what is wrong, like, you know, constantly, even after you've been born again, and you see sort of still struggle, um, with sin. So are you saying like heaven would not acknowledge that you're going through all of that and that is happening in your life? You know what I mean? You know, because when you say yeah. the records are kept clean and all that. So I'm just trying to yeah. understand along the lines. I mean, I think you have like an idea of what I'm trying to, you know, so please just help us out. Thanks. Okay. All right. Great. Thank you. Very, 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 very good question. Um, and it so happened that the answer, the, I mean, the complete answer to the question would be um, in the next two experiences, that's reckoning and yielding. However, let me say this. As a believer, first of all, let me give a disclaimer so that no, I mean, the message is not misunderstood. This is not a guarantee. This is not a license to sin, okay? And, and what I shared is not a, a permission to continue sinning. And the, the, again, just like Paul, Paul asked, and he, he also gave an answer to me, in, in verse, verse 1 of chapter 6, he says, shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? And his response was, God forbid. So it's almost like someone saying, okay, so if heaven doesn't take record of my sin, you know, does that mean I can, you know, I can just continue, you know, going on since heaven? I mean, the blood of Jesus doesn't finish after all, so should I continue sinning since the blood is inexhaustible? And Paul says, Paul's response to that is, God forbid. He's like, he's almost saying, it's almost like, you know, a, when a child comes to meet you and say, ah, mommy, mommy, can I, can I eat grass? The mother will say, God forbid. You can't do that because it is not in your nature to do that. So first thing Paul needed to establish was the fact that, and why he said God forbid was, you know, um, verse 2 says, God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live in it any longer? So his response was first that if we are dead to sin, then it doesn't make logical sense for us to live in it any, anymore. So what happens when a believer, you know, falls into temptation and it keeps reoccurring? Uh, this, this question is tempting us to move into the next part. But, but let me just say this, that 
that you know the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus wiped wiped away sin. Okay, the blood of bulls and goats and all of that tried to cover sin, but it didn't erase it. So the blood of Jesus wiped it out totally, meaning that that blood is still powerful. All right, and if a believer falls into sin, of course heaven knows that the person you know the believer has sinned, and 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 heaven is aware that the believer has sinned. Right, but every time the believer goes to God to repent, right, and appropriate what the blood of Jesus Christ has done. Now, remember, repentance begins from the heart. So you can't you can't trick God into repentance. Repentance is of the heart. All right. So if the believer genuinely repents, the blood of Jesus erases that action from from the records. Okay. So heaven again doesn't still keep record of that action. Even, even, um, rather, even though the believer commits it, as long as the believer repents and appropriates what the blood of Jesus Christ has done, okay. Again, does this mean the believer should keep on going on and on? And we are going to look at it, you know, further next week. But no, because the next thing after after realizing that you are dead to sin, the next thing is to reckon that fact, okay. And after reckoning, we now yield ourselves. It is at the stage of yielding that we now begin to consider physical actions. And this, this study is super important. Please let me encourage us, if you can join next week, please join next week. It's super important because I think it answers a lot of questions a believer, you know, a believer might be asking as regarding sin. Because on one hand, we know the nature of sin has been dealt with. But someone will say, how come I still feel the urge to commit a particular sin, or how come I still feel the inclination to commit sin? That will be dealt with when we when we look at reckoning and when we look at yielding. It's in the yielding process that actions begin to, you know, um, begin to begin to be considered. But at the initial point, it is first it first starts with the re revelation of the fact that you are dead to sin. Once that revelation is settled in your heart, then we now move to the next part, which is reckoning. And then we'll move to the next part, which is yielding, which we will study next week. Emily, I hope this helps with your, um, helps answer your question. Okay. All right. Thank you. So anyone wants to ask a question, please, please feel free. Any question um, you want to ask regarding what we have studied today. Anyone, anyone wants to ask a question? Okay. While we are thinking of our questions, let me ask the questions that we that I asked in the um, in the Bible study group. So I'm asking us now, what does it mean to be dead to sin? What does it mean to be dead to sin? Anyone um, wants to help with that answer? What does it mean to be dead to sin? I mean, we did have any questions, so I am assuming we all understood um, everything I was shared today. So my question back to us is this, what does it mean to be dead um, to sin? Anyone, anyone? <clears throat> good evening. Yep, good evening, Esther. Okay, thank you very much. For the Bible study, very in-depth uh, in and revelatory. According to what you have taught this evening, what it means to be dead to sin. 
You see, why I was reluctant to answer the question is because I'm trying to see how I will put my English together to answer your question because I understand it very well. Though. But let me put English together and answer. Okay, so this is it. According to what you've taught us, what it means to be dead to sin is that you have accepted the personality of Christ. You've confessed Jesus as Lord. So what Jesus did on the cross for us, that's him being crucified. And now, okay, just the way Jesus was crucified and he rose again. Now, that old nature, see, this understanding that I have, I don't know how to put it. This, the old nature in us, the old nature in us no more exists again. So we are dead to sin. The life we now live now is the life of Christ. Excellent, excellent. Thank the you old very nature, much. We don't have the old nature again. The old nature is equal to sin. This new life is equal to life in Christ Jesus. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Awesome. Thank you very Bye. much. And, and, okay, go on. Yeah. I said by receiving Jesus, we now live. Mm -hmm. Before, as we did not receive him, when we did not receive him, sorry, we were living in sin. But now that we are in Christ, we are dead to sin. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Awesome. That was that was really good. And as we're explaining, an illustration, you know, I had you know, I had it since you know just came back to mind. So think about this. Imagine a, a proper dead person, you know. You know, when when Bible says we're dead to sin, just picture this illustration. Imagine a dead person. If you show if you bring a, a bottle of alcohol to a dead person. And put it even let's even say you you open the person's mouth and pour the alcohol inside. Will the person respond? Absolutely no, because the person is dead. If you take oh, you say, okay, okay, this man, this man, eh, let's say when he was alive, he loved girls very well. He loved girls. What we're going to do eh, now that he's dead, we're going to just walk, bring a, a, a naked woman by him. If you pass bring a naked woman, will he will he respond? Absolutely no, because he's dead. Okay, let's say, ah, you now say that this person, he loved money so much. He and money were, were like this, five and six. He loved money so much when he was alive. So let's bring dollars. You bring $100,000 and drop it beside him. Will he respond? The answer is no. Why would he respond? Because he is dead. It is in the same way that when we are dead to sin, we are unresponsive to the nudges of sin. So the things that, you know, the appetite that we used to have and all of that before, the Bible says, um, by 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 what's the word now? By by our positional truth that we are dead to sin, meaning the things that we loved before in the old nature, we no longer have the we, no, we are no longer responsive to them um, anymore. So pretty much that's what it means to be dead to sin. Thank you very much, Esther. Um, anyone else wants to help us? What does it mean to be dead to sin? Anyone? Anyone? Hi. Okay. Um, yes, Dan, please go ahead. Yeah. <clears throat> Good evening, everyone, and thank you for today's study. Thank um, God. Yeah, in short terms, it means to be alive in Christ. And to be alive in Christ, you mentioned that there's no makeup we can do for sin. God does not recognize sin. No, God, there's no makeup we can do to present, no packaging we can do to present mm. to God. That's, that's the sin. So in itself, when we are dead to sin, that means we ourselves, we don't even, we don't, 
she likes to associate we cannot associate with it it's just like having a white a white sheet there's no there's no stain in it mm. so to me that's what it means to be there to sin that means we are totally into christ and then because god cannot recognize sin whatever whatever is sinful is sinful there's no makeup for it so we can't yeah. actually one way or the other go back to our former life and mm-hmm. also just as the lady mentioned when we are dead when we're dead to sin if, if, like if you see a lifeless body be it an animal or a human being just as you mentioned there's nothing you can actually do to influence that body to perform the way it used to perform it is dead mm-hmm. awesome that's how Excellent. we are dead to sin that's how we are meant to that's how we're meant to react to sin. No matter the influence, it cannot actually influence our own person because we have the person of Christ. You know? mm-hmm. Praise the Lord. Amen. Thank, Thank you so much, Dan. Um, you know, as we're talking, I mean, you, you mentioned our response to sin. And, you know, next week, when we talk about reckoning, because some may be asking and say, eh, but Vito, I still feel like you know, smoking, or I still feel like um, watching porn, or I still feel like drinking, or you know, this stuff. So, what what should I do when we look at reckoning? We'll now see how we translate our positional truth into our practical experience. All right. And one more question for us before we go tonight: How does the death of Jesus solve the sin problem? How does the or how did the death of Jesus Right, solve the same problem. Just in your simple understanding, the way you understand it, um, how did it solve the same problem? Someone to the rescue with an answer. How did the sin problem, how did the death of Jesus rather solve the sin problem? Thanks, God. Yes, please. Good evening, everyone. Um, firstly, I would say that um, from all the teachings that you've been teaching so far, we understand that firstly, the wages of sin is that so Jesus had to die to pay the penalty for sin that was against us. And you also did an um, made an illustration of the book and the pen in it. So Jesus dying also represented us dying and also being dead to sin and free from the penalty of sin. So because of what Jesus did, we can now have access to the Father. We are now reconciled to the Father and we now have that newness of life in Christ Jesus. So that is what the death of Jesus did to us as believers. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, one more person wants to chip in an answer to that. How did the death of Jesus deal with the sin problem? Just following what Faith said um, with the book illustration. Sorry, pardon my voice. Sorry. So following um, what Faith said with the book illustration, because we were dead to sin and buried like in Christ to death. So because Christ, um, because of that burial, and once Christ was raised, we were also raised with him. Like he said, wherever the book moves, 
depend also or depends rather also moves so because we were buried he had he had and to that and with that death we also were raised with him in the new creature in a new with a new life so that's how it solved that um sin problem awesome thank you very much Ida, for that all right um Okay, so that's the end of my question. So for the last time again, um, anyone with any question before we wrap up? Um, any question? Okay, none. Okay, so two people, right? Especially if you haven't spoken, just share, share with us one thing that you learned today. Just two people, please. One thing you learned today from you know, our conversation before we go, please volunteer if you haven't spoken um, I can see your names. So please, if you haven't spoken, just share with us one thing you've learned today. Uh-oh. Um, should I call someone? Bola Tito, do you want to help us? Just tell us one thing you've learned today uh, from our conversation. Hi, good evening, everyone. Good evening. So, um, what particularly stood out for me was the fact that um, we, we um, the, the principle of marriage, you know, like God had to, God could not break his word. He had to follow that same principle, meaning that you can only be separated from sin when, um, like the way marriage is, like only be separated from the covenant of marriage when one person dies. So we had to die in Christ for us to be totally removed from sin. And the resurrection of Christ means that we, we are now a new creature, meaning that old nature has died with Christ. And but at the point of resurrection, a new creature has emerged, and everything that We've done with all our things in fact, I've been totally wiped off and off the record and not, not on the record at all. So that was what really stood out for me. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much, Bulat. Still, um, okay, anyone else? Just one thing you learned. If you haven't spoken today, just um, let us know one thing you learned today's Bible study. Quick, 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 quick. Anyone, anyone, anyone? Or should I still call someone? Okay, um, Jeremiah, can you please share with us one thing you learned today um, that you're going home with? Are you there, Jerry? Uh oh, okay, Jerry's not there. Um, to me, do you want to help us out? One thing you learned today before we go. To me, are you there? One thing you learned today, just before we close. Uh oh. So me is in there either. Um, okay. Well, I guess let's let's please, call it. I... Okay. Yes. Yes. Please. Yes. I can go ahead. Good evening. Evening. Hello. Good evening. Oh, evening, Ma. All right. One. Well, 
point. I, yes, thank you. <laughs> I'm at the background today. But one major point you made that really, really, I blew my mind today was that in a marriage scenario, one person must die before the other one can remarry. So Christ really died on our behalf, resurrected. Now we can marry to God or we can now marry to life. Mm -hmm. We were divorced or dead to sin so we can marry life. It really, really struck my mind. I never saw that scripture like that. So the death of Christ was an opportunity for opportunity for us to marry life. So I really take that as a serious point today. And I thank you for that expository teaching. God bless you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Mom. For the record, that's my mom. Um, that's why I'm smiling. Thanks so much, Mom. All right, um, before we go, quick one here. If this is your first time joining us in Bible study, please just let us know your name, and, or rather let us know who invited you and um, where you are joining us from. If this is your first time, please just let us know who invited you and or how you found out about us, you know, online, a friend invited you, you saw our, our, our flyer somewhere, and then also where you are joining us from, what city or what state or what country. Anyone like that? Yes, my name is Turayo. Hi, Turayo. Hi. I saw it on page status, so I decided to join. And okay. it was quite insightful. Oh, so, thank you. What are you joining us from? What city? What Lagos, Nigeria. Okay, please let's welcome um, Turayo. This is her first time. Drop a warm message in the chat. Tell her she's welcome to the family. All right. Any other person joining us for the first time today? Anyone? Anyone? Um, okay, no one joining us for the first time again. All right, so let's call it a wrap for tonight. So tomorrow, oh, sorry, not tomorrow, next week, I mean, just like I said, we're going to continue on these same thoughts, on this same study, and we're going to look at reckoning, and we're going to look at yielding. All right? Um, um, so please join us next week, same time same same time yep and same link okay and so one more thing also please invite someone when coming next week if this has blessed you you can share with the person you know what you learned and then what will what we'll be studying next week and please everyone read romans chapter six and chapter seven it will give you a good understanding it's just it helps you it will help you in the bible study right because we might not be able to exhaust every scripture um during the course of bible study but if you read it on your own then it will help you while we are discussing. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us tonight. God bless you. See you next week. Um, same time, same link. Bye. And if you need to listen to this again, the link to, the, to this um, session will be shared in the podcast by tomorrow morning latest. Possibly this night, but by tomorrow morning latest. All right. Bye, everyone.
Tá bom, vamos fundar isso.